Amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 11 is where we'll finish out. Next man. This morning in chapter 11, then we'll go on to Luke chapter 12. Um, if, I don't know if you saw, but on the welcome table coming in, <clears throat> there's this really cool group called the Bible Project. And they put, any visual learners in here? Just like to see visually? Okay. So they put the different books of the Bible and do a tons of different cool stuff um, in very visual form. So they've taken the book of Luke and worked through the narrative and hit the main themes. Um, and so that's over on the welcome table for you guys to pick up and take home. Just so as we're preaching through the book of Luke, you can kind of see and follow along the big picture themes that are going through it. <clears throat> also, and, and Ricky might mention some of this in a little bit, but I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag. Um, we're coming up to Thanksgiving, right? Because it was pretty stinking cold this morning. Anyone wake up and go, what happened? Okay, some of us watch the weather, others don't. So tonight we're going to have a big fall gathering. Uh, bring the warmest thing you have. There will be a fire, but I have a feeling the fire will be very competitive. Uh, someone might get pushed in if you're too close and stealing their heat. But um, one of the things as we're coming close to Thanksgiving, we want to do, we partner with uh, Backpack Buddies. And so what that program is, is through the school system. And so it takes and delivers food to the families that don't have food. So some of the families that are on f free lunch and breakfast, uh, when they go home, the students literally don't have food to make it through the weekend. Um, so what Backpack Buddies does is it provides food by local food banks to the families so they have some food to eat throughout the weekend. Um, so going into having a week of Thanksgiving break, um, there's 28 families that are in this program that, that you just have to ask, well, what are they going to do for the week of Thanksgiving, but especially, are they going to have enough for a Thanksgiving meal? And so what we emailed the school system, and, and um, it's all underneath uh, Family Connection, said, hey, how many families are part of Backpack Buddies? And they wrote back and said 28. And so we said, how many um, do you think will get meals provided by other churches or organizations? And they said, I, I don't know, maybe four or five. So we said, whatever is left over, we'll take all of them. And so what we're going to do as a church is provide the Thanksgiving meal for these families. But here's the catch. Um, we're doing this by missional communities. So the missional communities will get the money, they'll buy the food, and they will be the ones to deliver them. So um, what I want you to do is, like, if you want to participate, if you want to get involved with this, what we're doing, uh, what we're not doing is just writing a check and sending it off and whatever. The most important thing is not that we're delivering food, but we get to take food and we get to pray with them, we get to build a relationship with them, hang out, play with their kids for a little while, and we're doing that all via missional community. So if you want to help out, if you want to contribute to if you want to be a part of this, uh, step one for you guys is you have to get involved in missional community. So Ricky will preface what that means and what that looks like at the end, but, but just knowing if you want to be a part of that ministry with us and over Thanksgiving break, you've got to get involved with the MC because that's how we're doing it all. Sound good? All right, so Luke 11 is where we were going to land. I missed you guys last weekend. I was at a conference, kind of a collegiate church planning deal out in um, Pullman, Washington. It's just encouraging to be with those guys and um, see guys that are doing what we're trying to do and start on every major college campus in Georgia. I'm currently Resonate, which are the guys we're learning from. They're on six campuses already, and they're expanding out. And so we're just kind of learning and growing from them. But one of their guys that was, I think, an intern or maybe even staff was telling me one night at dinner that he was a senior in high school before he ever heard the story of the prodigal son, that he ever heard the story of Jesus and his crucifixion, that he ever heard of the woman at the well. As a senior in high school because of a ministry called Young Life, that was the first time that he had heard any of these stories. 
So I'm listening to him share his experiences and so how, what it looked like for him to become a Christian as a senior in high school. And none of his family knew what that meant. And, and so honestly, there was a twinge of me that was jealous of his story. Right? There's a twinge of me. It's like, man, what we deal with in the South is, is total opposite of that. What we deal with as kids, I mean, any, let's just see it. Felt bored. When I say, okay, look at the hands already. I was literally putting up a felt board diagram of the woman at the well with a dirty diaper on. Anyone else? Like I've known that story since I, Old Testament, New Testament, and I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I'm, I'm grateful that I had that upbringing, but um, part of me, what we have to do in the South is a bunch of deconstruction and then reconstruction with the gospel. So out in the Northwest, they had a fresh slate to start with. Chance, this guy, the intern or staff or whatever, knew nothing. Here, what we deal with, a lot of people come into the branch, we get to know them. And so the first probably year, we start walking with them through missional communities or just discipleship stuff. Uh, all it is is lovingly beating them down, right? Like lovingly saying, you don't know what you think you know. You have a lot of head knowledge. You don't have a lot of heart knowledge. Yes, you can tell me that story, but you know who that means. And the most telling thing is, who are you in that story? So as I'm reading through scripture with guys and girls, I'm saying, who... Who are you most like in the story? And I can't lie how many times people go, well, I think I'm Jesus in that story, right? What? <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going to walk outside where you get struck by a lightning beam and then we'll pick up after that. You, you really think you're Jesus in this story. So um, what I want to do in Luke 11, 37 through 54 is, is just explain and read through this story really quickly. Um, and then we've got some friends, Toby and Leah, who are here from, um, they grew up in this area, went to school at UNG. Uh, have moved over to Central Asia to be missionaries, and now they're back. And so um, what we're going to study in the text is, is what they've done, what they've experienced, what they've modeled out. So I'm going to ramble for about five minutes and then just let them handle the rest because they can preach this way better than I can. So Luke 11, we'll pick it up in verse 37. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. Uh, please take that. If you don't own one, we, we want you to have a Bible. Luke eleven thirty seven. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. Now, we're, we're going to come back to this, but we can't overread this part. That when the Pharisees asked Jesus to come eat with him, he did. So this whole sermon series that we're doing through the book of Luke is called A Meal with Jesus, right? Um, because what the scholars would say that Jesus was either at a meal, um, coming from a meal, or going to a meal. So much life change happened in the book of Luke centered around a table. Centered around, do you finally see why we sit at tables here? Some of you are just like, oh, I get it. It's so weird, I get it. So uh, Jesus went, he went with them to eat. We're going to pick it up in verse 38. The Pharisees were astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So let me just, as soon as Jesus walks into this room, there's already drama. Y'all have those friends that are just love drama? Are you, if you're sitting right next to him right now, just kind of wink at me. I got you. So drama already starts out. Here's why. The Pharisees were so religious. They were so into the rules and the laws that they had to follow that they took all these rules and just blew them up and made them so 
extreme. And so what the Pharisees were doing, what these super religious, if you don't know what the Pharisees are, just think of like the elite of the elite religious, right? I mean, these were the guys that followed all the rules that did everything right, that people looked up to. And so what they were doing is they're coming into their home to wash their hands was literally washing the world off of themselves. Like we are so better than the world around us. We've got to get all this filth off of us because we are clean and we are holy and we are righteous and we got to get all this worldly stuff off of us. And Jesus walks in, doesn't do any of it. Pharisees are not having it. Verse 39, and the Lord said to them, now you Pharisees, there's about to be a, a whooping coming. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Are we having fun yet? I mean, just think of Jerry Springer going down right here. Verse 40, you fools, uh-oh, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But you give alms to those of, or within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe and mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you. If you have something to underline, underline this next verse. For you are like the unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Now, that was the biggest slam against the Pharisees in this whole entire thing. I understand why that meant nothing to us, so I'm going to come back in a minute to explain it. Um, but that was like the mic drop of this argument. There's, there's nothing that they could have said. Uh, now, we're about to meet who's called the lawyers. So the Pharisees are the ones that kept the law. The lawyers and the scribes are the ones that wrote the law. So they kept the laws going. They wrote all these additions and amendments to these laws. And so the lawyers decide to pitch in, which was a mistake. Verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Yeah, here we go. Verse 46, woe to you all lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for you killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be changed, charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you. It will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Verse 53, and when he said these things, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him and something that he might say. Now, there's so much here that we could get into. Uh, here's what I want, just to, the big idea. In this story, we're not Jesus, and, and probably there's some crowds sitting around outside waiting for him to come out. We're not part of the crowds. If we have any church background, we're going to be the Pharisees. We're going to be the ones that are questioning, that are arguing, that are debating Jesus. 
If Jesus was in this room right now, as a member of this church, we would probably question some of the things that he does. If Jesus was in this room, if he worked where you work, if he was in your classrooms, you would probably distance yourself from him because of the things that he did. See, culturally, were the Pharisees wrong? Should he have washed his hands? Should he have ceremonially become clean? We can make this debate and we can argue back and forth, but what Jesus was proving to them is, no, listen, like, I'm not trying to wash myself of the world. I came for the world. Like, I came for these people that you're trying to separate yourself from. That's why I'm here. So if I wash myself of them, then what am I doing? I have a single purpose here, and it's to purchase from my father many sons and daughters. So I love them. I want to go to them. I want to be with them. So no, I'm not going to wash my hands from them. I love them. Now, let's go back real quick to verse 44. Because like I said, this is where I just want to, of all this, this is where Jesus dropped the mic, and I think we should listen. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. So here's, here's what it's talking about. Have you guys ever noticed as we've been preaching through Luke and as you read your Bible, um, that when Jesus went and touched the dead, when he touched the lepers, when he went to uh, those kind of situations, the Pharisees lost their mind. Because there was clear ceremonial laws from the book of Numbers that, that Pharisees, that leaders, the religious leaders of that day, could not get close to dead bodies that would defile them, that they would no longer be clean. So Jesus just throws that out the window and says, no, listen, I'm going to do this. Like, this is why I'm here. This is the purpose. But what Jesus just told them is that they are leading people over unmarked graves. So by what they think they're doing which is saving people, is actually condemning people. So that the life that they live as Pharisees, who they think they're bringing people to Christ, they're actually bringing them over unmarked tombs, which would make them defiled as a people. So here's a question that we have to ask. Are our motives or our actions as a church actually bringing people closer to Jesus, or are we condemning them? Are we defiling them? Are we the Pharisees in this story that really think we're doing the work of Jesus, but what we're actually doing is pushing people away from Christianity and away from the gospel about how we live? So there's three examples out of the text I want to hit real fast, and then I'm going to pass it off to Toby and Leah. The first that we see is, is a, what we call legalism. So these Pharisees and Sadducees and the lawyers had created all these rules and regulations to keep themselves clean, to keep themselves pure, but they didn't actually know Jesus and they weren't doing it for Jesus. They turned all of Christianity into keeping a list of do's and don'ts. And so you've got to think about it. If you've grown up in a church, sometimes we kind of slip into this natural idea of legalism. Well, I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I know I'm supposed to raise my hand at this part in worship, and I'm going to judge everyone else that doesn't. Now, would we freely accept that? No, but over time, we've turned into little Lloyd legalists, right? That we are so quick to point out faults in others. Why? Because it keeps the attention off of ourselves. So what the Pharisees were doing, they were at walking in a term of legalism. That's the culture here that we fight so hard at the branch. We just want people to be real. We just want you to be honest about where you are, what you do, who you think about, what you say, because we can't do anything unless we're being honest. 
See, legalism keeps all your sin within you, and you're never actually vulnerable. You're never actually real. And my fear is, for some of us, we're, we're going to miss out on the beauty of the gospel our entire lives, that we think it's just following a bunch of do's and don'ts. So maybe it's not legalism. Another thing we see from the Pharisees is separatism, right? That they were totally separate from the world. They wanted nothing to do. It was just a good Christian clique, a good Christian huddle. And here's probably what they were saying. Oh, this is really good for us because it keeps me accountable. It holds me fast to what Jesus wants me to do. A Christian clique is, is a good thing, right? Like it, it, we build each other up. We, we do all this together. So we're going to keep ourselves separate because that's, that's ugly. That's nasty. That's worldly. We want to keep ourselves sacred. Church, there's a thing, and, and I, we should do this a whole other sermon. Uh, the sacred secular divide just does not exist in the world. That we try to say that we've got to keep things sacred, we've got to keep things holy, so therefore we cannot get around the secular, we cannot listen to secular music, we cannot hang out with secular people, we've got to protect this. And sh- listen, there are some days I dream about having a commune. Can I just be honest? Now that I have kids and like public school systems and like, it would be so much easier just to go, like all of us just pitching together about like 60 acres up in the hills and we just all live in the same area. I, sometimes I dream, anyone else? We're not a cult. Everybody look at me. Podcast, we're not a cult. I promise you. I'm just, I dream. I'm not saying we're doing that. It's not the vision of the church. But, but I understand it, that we just need to pull back. We need to withdraw. Uh, but that's what the Pharisees did, and that's what Jesus is blasting them for. Because he's going, no, no, you're, the outside of the cup looks great, but the inside is nasty. That you're just so worried about your image but you're not actually going into the world. You're not doing what I'm asking you to do. And I think this is probably slides into both of those, but the last thing, well, one of the other things that Jesus called them out was their appearance of holiness, that they wanted the right seat in the sanctuaries, in the gatherings, that they wanted to look like they had it all together. They wanted to look like they were perfect, that they were clean. They wanted people to think well of them. Now listen, just between me and you, you know what's in your heart. If you were honestly to admit what's going on inside your heart, do you think people would think well of you? And we say this all the time. If I were to hook up our projection system and all your thoughts and motives and actions were to come on this screen, would you want to stay in this room? Even just this morning. I'm not talking about like all last week, your entire life. Just today, would you want your thoughts and your attitudes and your motives to show up on the screen behind me? So we're so careful of we want to look good, we want to sit in the right seat. I mean, just being honest, here's how this looks for us. When we have people come in and say, I mean, I want to be a leader here at the branch, and they just got here, we automatically push back. And say, no, like we have a rule here at the branch. There's no first-year leaders allowed. You cannot be a freshman or new to the church and expect to walk into leadership for a bunch of different reasons. One, you don't know us. But two, if, if that's your attitude, if you think you deserve or you've earned some kind of leadership here because you just walked in, uh, I'm a little questioning of your motives. Why do you want to jump on a leadership so soon? Why don't you just want to be a part of the body? Is it that you want people to look at you and say, no, look out, he's a leader, he's great, she's incredible. So, so no, no freshmen, no first year leaders allowed. So those are some woes. Those are some things that we can be careful of. 
Um, but we want to stop and say, okay, those are the list of don'ts. What, what do we do? What does a life of Jesus look like? And we have to go back to how this whole story starts. Verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went. So he went. What does it look like to be missional? What does it look like to actively live out your faith? What does it look like to be like Jesus? It does not look like to be legalistic. It does not look like to be a part of a holy huddle. If your only friends are Christian church, you're doing this wrong. If you only hang out with Christians, we're missing the mark. We're not here for Christians. College students, some of the best things you could do is pick you and another believer and move into a house of non-believers. It'd be the best thing for you. It'd be the best thing for your maturity, for your discipleship, and for the discipleship of others. Jesus went. Do you think that he knew what he was walking into? Yeah. Do you think it was an uncomfortable, awkward interaction? Did you know, do we not just read this? It felt like Jerry Springer up in there. But he went. There's nothing holding him back. He walked into this situation. Why? Because he loved these brothers and he wanted them to know the true gospel. 